You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I've entitled this message, Are You on the Are Are You Headed in the Right Direction? And tonight what I'm gonna minister to you on, which I think will really help you, is I want you to evaluate tonight if you feel like you're headed in the direction that you should be concerning your faith. Father, bless your people tonight, Lord, as we get into this. And Lord, take these words, these truths, and encompass upon them, Lord, and touch them. And Father, we thank you for all of this. We give you praise for everyone that will be saved and set free in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn a few people and tell them they look great tonight, and you can go ahead and be seated. I want to ask you a question tonight to start with, and, and that is this. Are you living in a way that you always wanted to live? Are you achieving the desires in your life that you've always wanted? Or are you living in a way that is not anything like what you thought it was going to be? If the question, if the answer is, no, I'm not really living in a way that I'm obtaining what I want in life, then tonight's message is really going to help you because I'm going to show you tonight that your mindset will determine whether or not you receive out of your Christian faith what you want in life or whether you just get into the grind like so many other people, where they're just in the grind. And I believe as we look at this tonight that you can take a fresh look at the way that you think during your time of crisis. I run into so many Christians who are unhappy. And if you're unhappy with your life right now, that's, it's, it's a, just a perfect indication that your mindset is not quite right. Now, granted, we lose people and, and we have sorrow in the morning, but it doesn't last for week after week after week after week after week. And so when a Christian isn't happy anymore, they're not feeling fulfilled anymore, then we got to go back and say, Lord, what, what do I got to do here to get on the right track? Because obviously I'm off. And once you see that, it'll bless you. Amen? So look, if you would, with me over to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to look at the story of Elisha. I like Elisha because he was had a double anointing in Elijah. And here's at the end of his life what it says. And Elisha became sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joaz, the king of Israel, came down to him, wept over his face, and said, Oh, my father, my father, chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow, some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then the Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And then, and then he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The word deliverance there, in Aramaic, it means something that is broad. And what it li literally means is that when you're delivered, it removes all the opposition in your life that are opposing the objectives and the goals that you're trying to acquire. So he says, the arrow of the Lord deliverance, and the other deliverance for Syria, for you must strike 
Syria and Alphach until you have destroyed them. Now notice the word is, you got to annihilate them. You got to completely destroy them. And then notice it goes on. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now there's a lot in this particular message. But what I want you to see to start with is this. Joaz is a king that is on a wrong path. His life has really been ups and downs, and, and, and he was in a war with Syria, and if it wasn't for Elisha, he would have been defeated. But Elisha would prophesy and tell the king where Syria was trying to ambush him. So every time Syria tried to get ahead of the game and uh, ambush him, the prophet would reveal to them where it is. And so they were doing really good in, their, in this war because of that. But now Elisha knows that it's time for him to, to die and go to paradise. And so the king comes, and he's really bummed out about it because he knows, as far as I know in Scripture, there was no other prophets around at that time. And so the very source of his deliverance or the anointing on Elisha is going to be removed. And so the prophet gives him an opportunity without anointing to completely annihilate the Assyrians and actually win the war, but he only stri strikes a few times instead of striking more. Now here's, here's the question I want to ask you tonight. Are you on the right path in your marriage? Do you feel like you're getting closer? Do you feel like there's more love now than there was in the beginning? Do you feel like... Your family's tighter now than it was before? Or when it comes to your health, do you feel like you're getting worse or you're getting better? Do you feel like your strength is being renewed or do you feel like you're weaker and, and more wore out? And, or maybe it's your career. Do you feel like your career's going somewhere? Or have you just hit that roadblock in your life and it just seems like nothing's going right? If the answer is, I don't think I'm on the right direction, then what you need to do is change your mindset. Here's what I've done over the years. If I'm in a, a, a situation where I am depressed for more than an hour, I immediately take a survey on the way I'm thinking. I know immediately I must not be evaluating right. Immediately I must not be thinking in line with God's thoughts. Because I've learned that if you just keep going through life and keep getting the the same negative results, and you're depressed, and you're depressed, and you're depressed. That's not God's will. You're missing it. You're missing it. And he, here's something, and I don't mean to offend you, but what you have to do is take a, a really a good look at yourself and look at the results. Results prove what is true in your life. If you're not getting any results of joy, if you're not getting any results of peace, if you're not getting any, any, any results of compassion and God's love in your life, then it's very obvious that your mindset is unsettled and it is not operating in the measure that God wants you to have in your life. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. So you'll know if Christians are bearing fruit by results. If their family's falling apart, then obviously they're not bearing fruit. If they're going from one failed job to the next failed job, 
going from bankruptcy to the next bankruptcy, going to, you know, repossession over and over, then obviously there is something wrong with the way that they think. And I, I'm sure this is for someone else. It's not for you guys because you guys got it all together. But I wanted you to, to look at that evaluation that you, you need to take a fresh look at the scorecard. If you tell me you're a great golfer, prove it to me by your scorecard. Just being optimistic won't work. And this is a challenge for ministers because it's a minister has to preach on family, got to preach on children, got to preach on all those things. And if he's failing himself, then he's really not a very good teacher because he hasn't taught himself yet. So I, I'm saying all that because in this story, there's a reason why the king didn't shoot enough arrows, why he didn't stretch his faith. And the reason is the same reason most people don't shoot enough arrows. Whenever you get overcome by negative events, negative statements, negative people, negative feelings, and you get overwhelmed by that, you begin to attract more and more of the same. And in a negative state like that, you will never exercise great faith in your life. It'll always be far less than is what is necessary to get the breakthrough in your life. So what I like to say is this. First thing to do is get an abundance of a mindset that God can work through in a great way. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what that means? Abundant life, it means exceedingly, increasingly above. Say it with me. God wants me to be exceedingly, increasingly above the negativity in my life, above the sadness in my life, above the fear in my life. He wants us to be exceedingly, 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 increasingly above all the problems in your life. He didn't just come to give us life. He gave us to give it abundant life. Amen. So he wants you to exceed exceedingly financially. He wants you to exceed exceedingly health-wise. He wants you to exceed exceedingly with the love that you have towards each other, especially towards your wife, especially towards your children. But if you're like some moms, and we all have this experience, and fathers where they, it seems like when they start to become teenagers, they start thinking on their own. And you get this feeling, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm almost questioning whether or not I should have had you. And that's fine for a moment. But the reality is, it shouldn't bring us to a place where we're feeling cursed because of the children we birthed. Or we're feeling cursed because of the husband that we married or the wife that we married. Now, you're going to have to make some noise right now. I, this is not supposed to be a serious message tonight. I just want to build you up in this because your mind, the way you think, is going to affect whether or not you're glad tonight, whether or not you're sad tonight, whether or not you have great faith tonight. is all going to be dependent on whether or not you've allowed your mind to run amok. 
whether you allowed yourself to go from negative negativity to negativity to horrible negativity. That's what was wrong with the king, Joash. He got overwhelmed by what he was facing in his life. Now, let me say this. People as a whole do not resist change. I know that sounds funny, but let me say it again. People as a whole do not resist change. What they resist is them changing. Did you hear what I said? Prayer is not about changing God. It's about you changing in God's presence. Whenever prayers are answered, it's not because you changed God. It's because you got in line with God and were changed by his word, changed by his presence. And in doing so, uh, God released miracles and power in your life and solved problems that wouldn't normally be solved in your life. So I want you to remember that. And, and I'm going to show you a verse in 2 Peter. You can put it on the screen if you want. This verse is really striking because... It says something about people who are followers of Jesus. Now, I've said this before that I could build a, I could take somebody that doesn't even know Jesus, and I could teach them certain principles that would make their life better. But if they're a sinner, they're just a better sinner. They still, if they die, are headed in the wrong direction. They need Christ. But when you become a believer, that changes. It's different. Look at what the verse says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now watch this next part. And as his divine power is given to us, all things, say all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of divine age, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How do you overcome it? By exceeding promises. The things that God has promised us. That's how you overcome this and get the divine nature. But it says that we've been given all things that pertain to, the, uh, to life and godliness. Godliness deals with character, deals with love, deals with patience, deals with your attitude. It, it deals with that. But life deals with making a house payment. It deals with, uh, you know, getting your airplane tickets. It deals with your career. It deals with buildings. It deals with material things. So both of these things says that God has provided everything in our life that will materialize, whether in your body or materialize in your wallet. If I could be just general about this. He's already given us everything for it. Here's where people get messed up in the church. They go, well, that's spiritual, but what I need is a material blessing right now in my life. What you need to understand is when the Bible says, blessed be the God of the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Before there was ever anything material, there was a spiritual blessing. When God created creation, Hebrews 11.3 says that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And that that which has been created was created by that which is invisible. In other words, the earth was not created from, mater uh, from material things. It was created from spiritual things. So when you got saved, the author of creation came inside of you. 
the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus came inside of you. The one that created the oceans, that created the sea, created the stars, created that through spiritual blessings. And he has bestowed on you every one of those blessings inside of you. And once you know that, you know that if you need a material blessing, it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside first. You got to get it on the inside, get it on the inside, and it will materialize on the outside. But you got to get it on the inside. Say it with me. You got to get it on the inside. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. So the provision in your life doesn't start from the outside. It starts from the inside of you. When you begin to seek first the kingdom of God and begin to believe what God's promises say, you begin to mold and create a vision inside of your heart concerning that, and it brings forth great blessings. Let me say it to you this way. You have to build inside of you the abundance of God. In other words, what, what you need to do is either write down what will make you happy in life, write down what you're desiring to do in life, write it down, and then build the abundance of that on the inside of you as you meditate on the Scriptures, as you think about the Scriptures and dream about the Scriptures. Build it on the inside, and whatever's built on the inside, God, through His power, will manifest eventually in your life. It may not happen overnight, but it will eventually happen in your life. And that's why you're always happy and joyful, even when you don't have anything, because you're building it on the inside. I got the plans inside. I know what's coming to my life. What's coming to my life is pay off my mortgage. What's coming to my life is giving inheritance to my children's children. What's coming into my life is better health. What's coming into my life is no more broken relationships. What's coming into my life, come on, and you build inside of that in your life. But if you allow stinking thinking in your mind, you'll defeat yourself before you have a chance to launch out into it. Amen. Hallelujah. First time I learned this is I had just been saved as a Christian. And I had one of those bad, 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 bad days. Ever have one of those bad days that go from bad to worse, terrible? And I remember I, I felt so funny because for the first time I, I wasn't happy. For the first time I could hardly feel any joy at all in my life. And, and I'm, I'm, try, I'm saying, Lord, what's going on here? I... I, I, something's wrong here. I don't feel right right now. And that's because the devil had hijacked my thoughts. And my thoughts were going in a way that was creating sadness. They were going in a way that was creating hopelessness. They were going in a way that was changing my perspective and causing me to have a negative perspective rather than a positive perspective in my life. You know, your mood can really affect your perspective. If you're in a bad mood, I don't want to talk to you about anything because your perspective will stink. And the more you establish perspectives is the more it controls the way that you think. So it's really important for us to give thanks in everything. It's really important for us to be thankful for our wives, thankful for our children, thankful for our church, thank you for our government, thank, you, thank God for our president, thank God for the Senate, even though in the natural I could tell you what I think about things, just thank God, thank you, Jesus. All right, all right. 
But this is very important. Now look with me to Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to show this to you in a little bit more depth than I did over the last few weeks. But I want to show it to you again. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will to do, that I practice. Now if I do uh, what I will to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then, now watch this, a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. Now watch this next part. It's not there. Okay. thought it would be there. Let me just read it to you. It's verse 21, and I'll read it to you really quickly so that you can see it. Um, hallelujah. This is the Apostle Paul talking about what he was like when he first got saved. Now, he was in the backside of the desert for 14 years. During that process, he learned how to overcome the flesh. This is a revelation about what he learned. But there's a, a powerful verse here. I want to say it just right. Okay. It's in verse 23. It says this. But I see another law in my members, warring against, watch this, the law of the, my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So he says, I learned that there's a law in the mind that is contributing to the law of sin and death. And then he goes down in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. But he's talking about a law of the mind. Now, the law of the mind that he's talking about is, and I, this is my, my words, being obsessed with certain kinds of thinking. When you're under legalism, you're obsessed with doing or not doing the wrong thing. You're obsessed with the stop sign that says stop, I got to stop. I'm obsessed with what I'm not supposed to do. Not with what I'm supposed to do, but what I'm not supposed to do. And anybody that's legalistic, what it does, it produces more sin in your life. So you see the sign that says stop, and you become obsessed with stopping. And you see the sign that says do not touch, you become obsessed with touching. So you end up going up the side of it and touching it. You're over up doing a Hollywood stop at the stop sign. If you don't know what that is, it means you don't completely stop. And that's the way the law increased sin. It was being obsessed with what's wrong with people. Now here's what happens to a lot of marriages. They get married in the, in the beginning stages. They get married. We love each other. Everybody's fine. It's peachy king. All that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden they start focusing on everything wrong with the wife or with the husband. And the more they become obsessed with it, the more it makes them aware of more faults. So the faults increase in the marriage rather than decrease. Love is blind in this sense. When you become obsessed with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you're obsessed with obtaining 
the things that Christ gave us in the resurrection. The power to follow him. The power to live holy. The power to live righteous. You become obsessed with that. And therefore, the obsession of what's wrong no longer has power over you. Because you've switched your mind on his resurrection and everything it accomplished rather than on everything we're not supposed to do. And it doesn't mean that you go around doing wrong things. It means you do less wrong things because of what you're obsessed with. Amen? Same with your kids. Don't get obsessed with everything they should be doing. Be obsessed with their gifts, with their talents, with their potential, with what God can do in their life. Because if you do that, it will multiply and you'll see more good, not less good. You'll see more character. In other words, you get blinded by whatever your mind is obsessed with. If it's obsessed with positive things, you get blinded to negative things. It's obsessed with negative things, you get blinded with good things. And look at the world right now. There's so much anxiety, so much fear. It's the wrong focus. They're not obsessed with the right things. I am obsessed with Christ's abundant life. I'm obsessed with joy. I'm obsessed with love. I'm obsessed with forgiveness. I'm obsessed with a God that meets my needs. More than enough with plenty left over. I'm obsessed with that. And when you do that, it sets you free from the law of sin and death in your life. Hallelujah. You want a great marriage? If you want to make sure it's going on the right track, make sure that you are focused in on the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Focus in on that. And you'll find yourself being more understanding men. Understanding really is a result of what you are obsessed with. If you're obsessed with her qualities, with her beauty, with her character, with Christ in her, uh, you'll be one of the most understanding possible people there is. But if you don't have any understanding towards your wife, because you can't understand women, it's a mystery anyway. But, but if you don't understand them or, or understanding, it's probably because you've become obsessed with some of her failures in her life. I'm pretty excited about this tonight. Hallelujah. But this is the key to success. Any dimension, whether it's family, health. Like if you're sick all the time, don't become obsessed with your illness. Become obsessed with the healing promises that God promises. And that will lead you into a better appetite or better foods to eat. It'll lead you into uh, just detecting and sensing what would be good for my body. It will lead you in that. But if you're on the other end, it's just going to lead to more of the same, which is maybe. Amen? So, and you know what's good about this? This is how you love one another. This is how you love it. Good overcomes evil. Just like a, a, a yard 
You don't go out there with a hole digging up the weeds. It'll look like a minefield. You go out there and you put fertilizer on that grass. You feed that grass, that rich stuff. And it grows so rich, it chokes out those weeds. When you pour that fertilizer over your family, it chokes out the weeds. You pour on that fertilizer over the, your viewers, your wife or your job, it gets rid of all the weeds and it doesn't look like a landmine, praise God. And it grows and it thrives. And it's the growth in the marriage that makes the wife so much better and makes the husband so much better because they've changed the way they think about each other. And they think about it in Christ. If you were a little mouse and you could watch my wife, the way she treats me, you'd go, you are one of the luckiest guys on the face of this earth. And I am. She treats me just wonderfully. And that's because she has never looked and focused in on my failures. She's never stuck on that. Never. She would always look at my strengths. And because of it, she becomes blind to some of my weaknesses. Amen. Come on, everybody. Turn to somebody right now and say, this has got to be for you. I, I, just, I can just feel it in my bones. This is definitely for you today. See, people all the time, they come to me and say, Pastor, I, I can't quit drinking. I'm, I, I'm trying to quit smoking. I can't quit smoking. And, uh, or they say things like, I, I struggle with pornography and all that stuff. This is a remedy to all that. The way to overcome any addiction is not by focusing in on what you're not supposed to do. It's to focus in on what you're supposed to do. Paul said it this way, generally. Awake to righteousness and sin not. As long as you think you're a sinner, you'll keep sinning. But when you awake to righteousness, you know what you're doing? You're saying, Lord, I believe that when I believed on you, you forgave me of all my sins. Hebrews chapter 10 says that when that happened, I was perfected forever in Christ. Even though I may get dirty feet, even though I may get dirty hands, Jesus said that if you've taken a bath, you don't need to take a bath again. I'm still righteous. Sure, I may get a little dirt on my feet, but I don't need to take a bath again. And I'll tell you, when you focus in on that, you start to act holy and live right rather than those addictions just controlling you in your life. You know, a lot of people, they don't realize that you can't even successfully break a habit in your life unless you do, do it this way. Here's what most people do. They got a bad habit. Okay, I'm going to change the bad habit. So they say, all right, I'm going to change this bad habit. This is the bad habit I got. And so they decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. They focus in on what they're not supposed to do. And then they end up creating a new bad habit. And so now all they did is replaced it. And that's the way they are because they're focusing on what they're not supposed to do. What you've got to do is whatever bad habit you have, replace it with a good habit. And be obsessed with that good habit and then that other bad habit's going to fall away. And I'm not going to tell you what the bad habits are, but you all got them. Amen? We all got them. But that's the way you do it. It's never by looking at what I'm not supposed to do. 
it's always a focus in on the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is everything that Jesus did. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, his, sancti his sanctification has sanctified me. He has made me righteous. He's given me his righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? Let me give you a simple definition of righteousness. It means you have the right to it. You got the right to be healed. You got the right to, to prosper. You got the right to have a good marriage. You got the right to have your ch children turn out okay. You got the right to prevail in your life. Not because you earned it, but because God imputed to you his righteousness. And when I come to God, I'm not coming on my own. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm coming in Christ's name, praise God. I'm standing in, in him. And what that does is it gives me the confidence, not because of me, but because of Christ in me. Hallelujah. You know, it's like in ministry, if a preacher buys two of an expensive car, people in the church criticize. Oh, we shouldn't spend that much money on the pastor or whatever. Well, what if someone just came by in church and bought me a brand new Ferrari and gave it to me as a gift. I didn't earn it. It was a gift. Righteousness is a gift. You didn't earn it. I can't help it if it's worth so much. I can't help it if it has spending power. I can't help it if it helps you move mountains. But that's just what Jesus gave you. And what's beautiful about it is we give God all the glory when that happens. Thank you, Lord. It wasn't me and my little pea brain. It was you. All I'm doing is lining up with what your word says, trusting in the righteousness of God, trusting in what you did for me. And, Lord, I'm so, so, so thankful. Hallelujah. Now watch this quickly. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Look at what it says. For the weapons of the warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now watch this next part. Oh, that's it. Now, I want you to see from this verse, it's not talking about demons in high places that we cast down. It's talking about your thought life. You can never be a spiritual person unless you control your thought life. In fact, here's the problem with our America today, the world. They consider somebody who thinks a lot, someone that went to college, someone that took exams, someone that passed tests. That's not what the Bible calls thinking. Thinking in the Bible is, is very simple. Someone who thinks on those things that are good, true, and upright, whatever, is an individual who chooses what thoughts to accept and what thoughts to reject. You want your life to change? You're not happy right now? I'll tell you exactly how to fix it. You've got to evaluate the way you think and the thoughts that are exalting itself above the word of God. You need to reject them by accepting God's thoughts in your mind. You can't reject without accepting God's will. You've got to reject lack. By accepting the provision of the Lord. You've got to reject, reject bitterness, thoughts of bitterness 
and accept the forgiveness that God gave you that you give to everyone else. You, there's the process of rejection and acceptance in your mind will change your mindset and give you the victory that you're looking for in your life. Amen. I know that it seems like, oh, that's just too hard, but most people don't think anymore. They allow what someone else tells them to evaluate how they think. You need to say, okay, wait a minute. I'm not going to allow any old thought to go into my mind. If that thought is trying to exalt itself above the word of God, and of course, you've got to know the word to do this, and it is, I reject it. I reject it. You know, your boss brings you in and says, listen, we're going to have to cut your hours down. Can't give you the hours that you normally get. Economy is rough. We've got to back off a little bit. So you go home, your mind is saying, we're not going to have as much money this month. What you've got to do is reject that thought. Nowhere in my Bible does it say that God is affected by the outside. The Bible tells me that I'm rich in God. The Bible said that God can provide for me in every situation in life. The Bible says that God has given me the power to get wealth. The Bible says that God delights in the prosperity of his servant. So there's not anything. And, oh, glory to God. There's not anything that can prevent God's will and purpose from succeeding in my life. Except me. If I don't reject those thoughts, I'm not going to see the blessing of the Lord. Amen. I got to reject it. When the doctor says five years you'll be dead, I got to reject it. No, my Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's what my Bible says. My Bible says that with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. Well, I'm not satisfied. So those thought that's that's where miracles come. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Every miracle in the Bible was somebody that was obsessed with healing. The woman who had the blood issue, she was obsessed with being healed. She spent all of her money in doctors and was broke, but she still was obsessed with being healed. It was that faith that caused Jesus' power to go outside of him. The man with the, the, at the pool of Bethesda that had been there for 38 years was obsessed with being healed. Nobody in the right mind would sit there for 38 years waiting for water to be stirred if he was not obsessed with being healed. So you find that all through the Bible. The question is, are you? Are you obsessed with doing better in your marriage? Are you obsessed with getting your children on track? Are you obsessed with going from poverty to riches? Now, I'm not talking here, you know, billionaire or all that stuff. I'm just talking about having more than enough. Are you obsessed with God providing for you? If you are, you will begin to attract it in your life, and you'll begin to run into the blessing of it in your life in a great way. Let me give you an example. Psalms chapter 1. It says this, whatever you put your hand to do shall prosper. It's right up there. Amen? Built the church on that verse. Whatever you put your hand to do shall prosper. But you've got to read the verses before. It says, don't take the counsel of the ungodly. It says to meditate on the word day and night. In other words, 
I'm going to set my mind on the word. I'm going to let that word dominate my thought. Then whatever I put my hand to do shall prosper. But if I'm taking the counsel of the world and exalted it above what God's word is, that verse won't work. Amen? Now let me say something that will help some of you parents. I've raised kids, so I know a little bit about this. Parents have a tendency to overprotect their children. And we should protect them. Don't misunderstand me. Especially when they're smaller. But there comes a time when they're going to have to face the world. But most people believe this. There are some thoughts and some words that are spoken that are so toxic, if you're just in the room with it, it's going to affect you. That is absolutely not true. There is no thought toxic enough by someone saying it to you that can get inside of you without you focusing in on it and accepting it. If you learn teach your children how to reject wrong kinds of thinking that go against the word, you, they'll be like Daniel and the three young men that were with him. Young boys taken out of their family, put in Babylon, pagan place, raised, trained by all their ungodly professors, and not one of them lost their faith. They all, whether they were thrown in the fiery furnace or thrown in the lion's den, they held fast. Why? Because they learned when they were young, obviously with their parents, you got to reject that thought. That thought is trying to exalt itself against God. It's a thing we need to teach our kids because the world is dirty. The world is corrupt. And you can only shelter your children to a certain level. you got to teach them. Okay, now listen. I've told you not to listen to that music. Let me tell you why you shouldn't listen to that music. Because when you accept those thoughts, they get down into your spirit and create whatever that negative music is telling you. And you become murderous in heart. You become hatred in heart. And that's why some of your friends have ended up in juvie because they have allowed that corrupt song to get down into their thoughts because they wouldn't reject it. Amen. When I was a kid, the worst that happened is you and I get in a knife fight. When I was young, 16, worst that happened. Very rarely did anyone shoot somebody. Why? The world is toxic right now. And our children will listen to music that if they don't reject some of those lyrics, start singing it themselves, it's going to get down into their spirit and it's going to corrupt them. Amen. Kind of like country western music. Oh, she left me for my dog. I'm not against country western. In fact, there's a good gospel lady we want to get coming to the church. Does country and it's wonderful, but the lyrics are important. It can't be all about my wife went out on me, my husband can't be trusted. Can't be that. Because it gets down inside of you and messes up your life. So say it with me. I need to reject the thought that exalts itself above God by accepting fully what God's thoughts are.
You can't reject without accepting. If you don't accept God's truth, you won't be able to reject it. You've got to receive it. Let me, let me close with this. Maybe this will make it a little bit easier to see. Let me describe to you what prayer is like. Prayer is like being a bride going to your wedding. When that young bride goes to her wedding, she goes into the wedding one person, and when she comes out, she's someone different. She takes on her husband's name. And when she went into that wedding, she was probably broke. But when she married her husband, I'm talking about Jesus here, he's rich. He's rich. So when I accepted Christ, I came out of that prayer. And I am fully identified with Christ's riches. I'm fully identified with everything Christ is. Now, you see, when, when Joyce, Joyce and I, we, we dated when we were 15 and a half. I married her at 19, but something happened when I married her. It was different. When I married her, all of a sudden, that's my husband. I remember one preacher took advantage of me. Anyway, I'm going to tell you what he did, but it was negative. My wife went on him like a cat on a mouse. He got so terrified for my wife, every time he'd see her somewhere, he'd go the other direction. Because now I'm her husband. Not just a lover, not just a boyfriend. My wife or my husband. Jesus is our husband. I'm trying to get weird here. But he's our husband. It's who I am right now that matters. I'm in him. Hallelujah. The riches of Christ are in me. His holiness is in me. His position is in me. His goodness is in me. And above all else, his love is in me. Oh, what love God has bestowed on us. You never find a love like you find with Jesus anyplace else. I don't care how strong your family is. The greatest love you'll ever have is embracing the Son. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Tonight, if you've come tonight and you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can leave with a new identity. You can leave with Christ in you. You can leave with his riches. But you need to respond to him right now tonight in Jesus' name. Put your hand up to heaven right now. So right now, I ask that you bless them in every place they go. I ask you, Father, that you would teach them how to reject thoughts that are not from you. In fact, everyone, you say this with me. Jesus, I reject every thought that makes me sad and unhappy. I reject every thought that makes me want to quit. I, I, I reject every thought that tells me it's impossible. And I accept your thoughts that all things are still possible to the one who believes. Give God praise tonight, everybody. We love you. God bless you. Get ready for Mother's Day. We're going to have a great time. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.